Aloha and welcome to the Hawaii Reopening Consortium webinar. This is the first of a series of seven webinars happening every Tuesday. My name is Toby Tamai and I'm the president of a local agency called AT Marketing. And I've been working in the tourism industry for over 20 years. Aloha, my name is Sandy Narvez and I am the director of sales and marketing at the Ritz-Carlton Residences, Waikiki Beach. I have worked in tourism for over 18 years, starting at five. And both my parents spent their careers in the tourism activity sector here on Oahu. This series is a collaboration between the Travel Industry Management International and the Scheidler College of Business Administration Alumni Association. These webinars are offered at no cost by the two alumni associations. The webinars are designed to stimulate ideas for solutions that can be implemented by key tourism leaders, large and small business owners, employees working in the tourism industry, college students studying the travel industry related fields and the general public. Topics include tourism, health and safety, an update from the airline and hotel industries, restarting business in retail and dining, and a special webinar focused on the recovery of tourism from Japan. The goal of these seminars is to deliver information that can save small businesses, save jobs, and provide hope to our attendees with positive and forward-thinking messages. The idea for this series was born from a simple discussion that evolved into the realization of a need. We needed to hear from our leaders in our various industries. We needed them together, united, and we needed their help in determining our own plans to reopen successfully. But ultimately, this series is about what you need. So please, if you have any questions for our panelists, go ahead and drop them in our Q&A box. Our moderators will monitor your questions and select as many as possible to review at the end of the webinar. Since these seminars are over the lunch hour, we are featuring UH Shiler College of Business or Travel Industry Management restaurants that are owned or managed by an alumni. Today's restaurant is Le Tour Cafe. All of their locations are open for takeout, and I just finished their tonkatsu ramen spiked mac and cheese. So good. Also, a special thanks to the University of Hawaii Shiler College of Business, the School of Travel Industry Management, KHON TV, Pacific Business News, and the Chamber of Commerce Hawaii for their support of these webinars today. I would also like to mention the producers behind this webinar, Evan Leong, CEO of Brain Gain Hawaii, John Doyle, Technical Director for the Department of Defense, and Buddy Leong, Executive Director of Virtual Student Experiences. Please make sure you have a notepad and pen, notepad and pen on hand to take notes today. Additionally, we will provide some fundraising opportunities in our subsequent webinars. Your contributions will go to the Scheidler College of Business Alumni Association which directs these funds to nonprofit organizations, student development mentoring, and networking opportunities to connect our talented business community. All right, let's get on to the webinar. Our first speaker is John DeFries. He is the new CEO and president of the Hawaii Tourism Authority. John is the first leader of the organization to be Native Hawaiian. He has worked in the tourism since 1970s. His background includes tour company operations, hotel sales and marketing, television sports marketing, resort operations, hotel resort construction and development of master plan, residential communities, re resort class amenities. Thank you for joining us, John DeFries. Hello and welcome. And um, thank you to our hosts and uh, organizers and to all of you who have taken the time to view this. Uh, today is day 13 uh, in a new chapter in my life as the president and chief executive officer Tourism Authority uh, could not be um, more humbled and exhilarated at the same time. Uh, the challenge that lays ahead is daunting, 
I have uh, walked into an uh, incredible group of 12 board members who have set a strategic plan that was approved in January of 2020, uh, a strategic plan that um, has four pillars, which will guide all of our activity. Pillar one being natural resources, Hawaiian culture, community, and brand marketing. Uh, in addition to a sound strategic plan, which will be amplified because of the pandemic, uh, I've also inherited an incredible staff, um, of which five or six of them I've worked with um, on various projects over the last two and a half years. And, um, and all of them are right now dealing uh, with the effects, just like everybody else. So most of our staff is teleworking at this time nonetheless extremely productive. Uh, in walking into the Tourism Authority and amidst all the chaos that's been created by this economic collapse and uh, the pandemic and threat to public health, I felt it was imperative for me to establish right out front an organizing principle which comes in the form of a Hawaiian cultural value of malama, to care for, to protect, to nurture. Malama will become the sister cultural value to Aloha. Aloha, which has guided our industry uh, since its very existence. And together, utilizing those two cultural values of Aloha and Malama, we will chart the course into the future. Now, it's important that we approach the challenges ahead with a different mindset. Uh, we need to get to a different consciousness than the one we had pre-pandemic. And Malama offers us that because it reminds us that we need to We're reminded that we must Malama the visitor and in turn educate the visitor on how to Malama us. And in so doing, set up a full circle in a relationship uh, that needs to be cultivated um, to make the experience for both those of us who are local, as well as those of us who are visiting, to be authentic, real, and eventually built on a foundation of trust and reciprocity. And so... Um, those are the kinds of things that we are focused on. You're going to see an array of uh, initiatives and projects that will bear the Malama, um, you know, signature. It is not something I imported into HTA. Uh, it was there, frankly. My predecessor, Chris Tatum, to whom I wish the very best, was wise to have the entire staff of HTA sign what is known as the Malama Mandate which is part of the Hawaii Green Growth Initiative and the Aloha Plus Challenge. All of us are familiar with the three and a half years of worldwide voyaging by Hokulea, carrying the message of Malama Honua, or caring for island earth, to the four corners of the planet. And in relatively short order, you're going to learn of a campaign from the Hawaii Visitors and Conventions Bureau called Malama Hawaii. And so um, I look forward to this uh, webinar and thank you for giving me this opening segment.
and I look forward to hearing from my fellow panelists. Thank you. Thank you, John, for sharing those updates and your vision for our future. We're so grateful to have you leading our tourism industry. Our next speaker is Mayor Derek Kawakami. Mayor Kawakami is a third generation Kauai resident who was born in Hilo, Hawaii. He graduated from Kauai High School and went on to attend Chaminade University where he earned his degree in business administration and sub subsequently earned his credentials as a cooperative director from the National Rural Electric Association in Arlington, Virginia. Mayor Kawakami's gov government service began as a council member in 2008, later becoming a state represent representative and ultimately being elected as mayor of the county of Kauai and Niihau in 2018. He also has quite the social media following with over 17,000 followers, even more than you, Toby. Thank you for joining us, Mayor Kawakami. Thank you. It's, it's great to be here. And um, thank you for that wonderful introduction. You want me to say more than that or? <laughs> I'm sort of new at this. Like I, I'm trying to just take my orders from somebody else today. Yes, absolutely. Um, Mayor, if you'd like to just share maybe some of your thoughts moving forward on um, you know, this upcoming October 15th opening or um, what any of your vision you have to over the next six months as we come out of this. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, as a mayor, uh, I tell you, we're, we're between a rock and a hard place. Uh, you know, the characteristics of this virus uh, almost um, forces people to slow, slow down everything that they do and to really move methodical, uh, methodically uh, as we advance forward. Understanding that at times, you know, we're going to be taking a, a few steps forward and perhaps a step back. But I think as we start taking a look um, across the globe as to um, what happens if we don't strike that right balance of how quickly we reopen versus how we manage all of the necessary components of um, dealing with a pandemic. Uh, what we ultimately um, don't wanna do is have to take more steps backwards uh, than we are moving forward. You know, in a sense, the military has uh, a term um, and it's that um, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And you know, for Kauai, we're in a unique situation as far as our healthcare capacity um, and the limitations that we have to handle a large outbreak. You know, on an island with nine intensive care unit beds, um, of which at times uh, seven of them have been occupied, uh, none of them COVID-related. You know, when you talk about walking on eggshells and really um, making sure that we advance. Um, forward uh, and hitting that balance, um, it, it is a critical component of our operation. I think when, when people ask us, like, what is the methodology of our decision making? Um, it, it's really to measure, uh, one, the, the key component of dealing with this virus is just like prevention, uh, preventing people from getting sick. And so that's why early on, um, our communications team did a great job as far as uh, messaging just the basic foundation principle of principles of preventative measures, washing hands, hey, everybody 
should be wearing a mask. And then of course, physical distancing. Then it comes to detection. So that's sort of where like having the testing uh, capability um, is key. And then containing the virus. So that's where contact tracers, our ability to isolate positive cases and quarantine uh, anybody that's been close contacts is critical. And then of course, um, that leads us to our ability to, to treat sick people. And so we try to inform the public of what guides our principles moving forward. Uh, we created alternative uh, sort of operations here on Koi just based on our unique needs. And many of you folks have heard through the media about resort bubbles. Um, you know, in a nutshell, the resort bubble that we came up with uh, happened right after the first delay of mainland travel when it was pushed back from August 1st. We immediately said, you know, it's clear that we've got to start coming up with some contingency plans. And so the resort bubble model is basically just a plan B. You know, the private sector has asked government like, hey, give us a clear picture of what you're looking for. And so we did. We said like, look, if we have to move forward slowly, this is a model that will work. If we ever open up and have to retreat back slowly, this is a model that's more acceptable than the 14-day mandatory quarantine. So I don't want to take up too much time, but I'm, I'll be here with you folks uh, till it's done to answer any questions that may arise. Thank you, Mayor Derek Kami, for providing those updates today. I miss Kauai a lot, and I cannot wait to visit again soon. Next up, is Hawaii. <laughs> Next up is Hawaii State Senator Glenn Wakai. Glenn entered the world of public service in 2002 when he was elected to the State House of Representatives. He moved to the Senate in 2010 and is currently the Chairman of the Energy, Economic Development and Tourism Committee. He is also the Vice Chairman of Public Safety Committee. Outside of the Capitol, Glenn runs his own public relations firm, High Impact Communication, and is also President of Reach Out Pacific, a nonprofit which takes surplus medical and educational supplies to Micronesia. Welcome to the webinar, Glenn Wakai. Thank you, Toby. Thank you so much for having me. And to Mr. DeFries, thank goodness we have someone with your background to lead us out of this abyss. And uh, uh, to Derek, good to reconnect with, with you. I love your decisive and commonsensical approach to uh, things on, on Kauai, whether it's economic growth or public health. Uh, you, you, you're, you're really, the, to me, the model leader that uh, Hawaii uh, should emulate in the future. So it's a pleasure to be here with all of you uh, today, as well as uh, Pono and, and Sherry as well. You know, for, for, I love the fact that we're talking to Tim School students because for you students, this is such a critical juncture. Um, there's going to be fewer jobs for many of you because of COVID, but for the best and brightest, you're going to have the opportunity to reinvent tourism. You look back for the, for the past uh, 60 or so years, tourism has grown on its own. But here in 2020, tourism has been destroyed. And those who secure employment after graduation will be on the front row to either make it more of the same or send it in a totally different direction, like Mr. DeFries talked about. I mean, we got to figure out what exactly is Malama and how do we act, create an action plan around that. It was, it was just only in January of this year we had uh, discussions about over-tourism, right? We were moaning the fact that we had 10 million visitors in 2019. Oh, the pain that that caused. And then look at where we are today. We have, we needed a breather back then and we got a breather. In fact, we got a headlock uh, put on us by, by COVID. 
And as we look forward, how are we going to reinvent uh, tourism? I, many have asked me, are, am I confident that October 15th is going to turn out to be a success? To be honest, I don't think so. Uh, we need to keep, take care, from a policy standpoint, we need to take care of our problems at home first. I mean, the fact that we haven't figured out how to get school kids back into the classroom first uh, and somehow expect to reopen the economy and send mom and dad to work with their kids still at home, I mean, we, we, it, from a policy standpoint, we should really take care of our issues bef at home before we start thinking about inviting new problems into our community. Uh, tourism and public health are not two separate buckets. They're one bucket. And what we're about to do on October 15th is to add more uh, dangerous potential problems into this bucket and just have it overflow to make it even more problematic in the future. And in, in you know, the idea of us on October 15th having voluntary testing prior to departure, departure to me is, is not a well thought out plan. You can't have half the plane tested have the plane not tested. I mean, that's called a flying cluster. In five hours, the dirty passengers are going to infect the clean passengers. And I learned that uh, through aviation circulation on the plane, the circulation goes left to right from row A to, uh, from seat A to seat H. It doesn't go back and forward. Uh, and you would think that, okay, if we're gonna have half the plane tested or not tested, maybe the airlines can put the dirty guys in the back and the tested people in the front, but the airlines, can't even figure that part out. Of, out. So we're gonna just have everybody just sitting any kind of place and potentially infecting each other. Some are gonna get a free pass because they got tested. They're gonna walk off the plane uh, and not knowingly and unwittingly being infected on that flight over to uh, Hawaii. And somehow we have to look at the airport as the choke point. That's gonna be the key to our success in reopening uh, of, of tourism. And you look at Alaska, Alaska of all states was the first to implement COVID testing in June. If you go to Alaska as an outsider, you have to show proof of negative COVID testing and also take a test upon your arrival there uh, at your own expense of $250. So Alaska, you know, keep in mind, Alaska is half the population of Hawaii. Tourism is not even the number one economic driver. They have lots, lots of natural resources. Alaska is inventing the wheel for how America tries to safeguard itself from COVID. Hawaii should be out in front of this issue, not following what Alaska is doing. And you look at what Tahiti has done, uh, they were going good. They only had 62 COVID positive cases up until July. They brought down their guard, relieved everyone of any kind of quarantine requirements, and they have ballooned. They have 1,500 COVID positive cases uh, today. So we have examples around us of those who have done things properly and those who have perhaps been overzealous at opening up the e economy. And really the gold standard in the region is Taiwan. Uh, you get pre-tested 72 hours before you get on a plane. When you get to Taiwan, you take another test. They put you in mandata mandatory quarantine uh, isolation, not the kind where like over here, you can skirt out of your hotel. You get, have mandatory isolation. Uh, for five days, if you prove to be COVID negative, then you get on with your business or, or va vacation. I mean, those are the types of kind constraints that we should be contemplating to make sure that October 15th turns out to be a huge success uh, for the state. We, we, we cannot have policy that's driven by junk in poll, which 
there's no there's no data there's no metrics those there's no nothing it, it cannot be as the governor mentioned two weeks ago just current circumstances is what drives our decision making it has to be so much more methodical and that's why i really appreciate uh mayor kawakami and the way he has approached the reopening of Kauai, a more measured and tempered approach to ensure that one public safety is ensured and then two there is no turning back in in going backwards we always have to be moving uh forward but uh those are just some of my thoughts and ideas on where we are now and where we're going to be moving forward in uh, the future. Thank you, Toby. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with us today, Senator Wakai. Now for our panel discussion. Speakers, please turn on your cameras. Mayor Kawakami. <laughs> Thank you. You will each be given one minute to answer. You will answer first in alphabetical order from, first, from last name, then we'll go in reverse alphabetical and then switch again. Toby, our first question. Thank you, Sandy. Our first question is, in what way should businesses, government, and our Ohana prepare for the reopening of visitors and businesses in advance of their arrival? Is there a message or program or project you can share with the businesses with optimism and hope? Something we can wrap our heads around, pull resources, and build community to help each other get back in business. Start with John. Thank you uh, for that question. You know, um, from a very basic standpoint, uh, what we can do collectively within this Malama mindset is actually as a state and as a society, make a commitment to flatten the COVID curve permanently. Um, there is scientific evidence about how we go about doing that. One of them is to wear a mask, proper social distancing, and hygiene at a very high level. This pandemic has actually put the hospital into the hospitality industry because it's causing us to elevate our standards of hygiene, sanitation, sterilization. But wearing a mask, and you will be hearing about a Malama mask campaign, where you wear the Malama mask, not because it's mandatory, but because it's our responsibility. You wear it not to reopen tourism. You wear it because to protect your grandmother and your children in your school district. And when we wear a mask, I Malama you and you Malama me. And that will become kind of the beginning of a rollout of uh, programs that I envision at HTA uh, built around this organizing principle of Malama making a commitment to flatten the curve permanently is the only way industry can get underneath and government leaders can get underneath and reconstruct an economy that's in a total state of collapse at this time. So thank you. Thank you, John. Uh, Derek? I would agree with everything that John said. And, you know, from a government standpoint, it's building trust with the people, which is, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, but it, it, it comes down to giving people the straight talk and delivering in a manner that's compassionate, understanding that there is a lot of fear, but really being straightforward as to uh, what the realities are and to basically telling people to be prepared to learn how to coexist with a virus. And uh, if we can get back to our foundational roots of just common courtesy, you know, when I was growing up, you go to the beach and you're not blasting your stereo because you're very aware of the people that's next to you and how your actions impact other people. 
you know, in a large part, a lot of that has been lost, but a lot of it still exists. You know, I see it on Kauai as far as people making sacrifices. I mean, I have friends who, who personally do not believe that this pandemic is real, but yet they're on social media, you know, hammering people that don't wear masks. And when I talk to them, like, what's up with that? They said, oh, we're doing this to back you up. You know, I may not agree with you, but, you know, overall, you know, we're in this thing together. And that's sort of the, the mindset is one, government has to rebuild trust. We have to give people the straight talk and be honest. When we make a mistake, hey, look, everybody makes a mistake. Just come out in front and say, hey, you know what? We all learning. Uh, there's probably a million things I could have done better. But really uh, what government needs to do is to engage people in a way that when we got to say something, they might not agree, but they're going to go, you know what, that guy's not going to lead me to a dark place. He's not going to lead me to harm's way. And I think that's what government needs to do. Uh, thank you, Mayor Kaokami, for those words. Uh, Sherry. Sure. Thank you, Toby. Uh, along the same lines as John and Mayor Kaokami, uh, it's going to take personal responsibility. And that includes three W's, right? Wear your mask, wash your distance, wash your hands. We hear it at nauseum, but so simple tasks, but so powerful in order to save businesses, save jobs, save our families, and simply save the livelihood of our communities. Because we've all recognized now that the virus is interconnected with our economy. Uh, so that's gonna be critically important that we are personally responsible. I think after the first shutdown, uh, that was three months and we we're on lockdown. And once we were given the green light, things started opening up. We didn't recognize how critically important it was for the mask. So I think we let down our guards. But now that we have another chance to get this right, because we cannot afford a third shutdown, uh, that we take our personal responsibility seriously and hold ourselves accountable. And that goes to businesses as well. Uh, making sure that you implement proper health and safety protocols to protect your employees as well as your customers and clients. Uh, and unfortunately, we've seen uh, just a small number of businesses who did not do that when we did reopen and has led to a complete shutdown of an industry where most businesses have complied with the uh, health and safety protocols. So again, it's going to take personal responsibility amongst all of us to get this right and to move our economy forward. Thank you, Sherry. Um, next, uh, Pono. Yeah, aloha everyone. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, you know, I'm just gonna preface everything that any answer that I give or, or comments that I share today um, with a perspective that there's something so deep and rich in what John is talking about, but it's almost contrary to everything we've learned politically, economically, and educationally. And what John DeFries has spoken about in Malama and Aloha is what I call connection versus correction. We've become a society that is so focused on how we correct, but not exercise the muscles of connection. And so the example that I give is <clears throat> when people were talking about educating folks about the use of masks or what COVID-19 was, it really was educational, which to me is just a cryptic term for correction that we need to correct you. So from the connection perspective, I just started, you know, how can I help people to understand? And to me, COVID-19 is like a virtual weed whacker. It's really all it is. 
it's something that when I go running and I run past guys who are landscaping and they're weed whacking, if they see me, they stop. And the reason why is because there is a, there's a periphery of which debris is flying. And if I'm within that area, they don't want me to get hit. If they don't see me, I run outside of it. And it's almost like we all have this virtual weed whacker that we're carrying. But if we assume that we can share it in a way that connects and allows people to realize what, what the impacts we have, just like a weed whacker, then maybe what happens is we start to transform our own behaviors. Yes, policy and governance is very significant, but what Derek and John and, and Glenn and Sherry really, I think, are talking about is how we raise our own bar so that we're that kind of community that is a community again, not just a group of members. So that's, yeah, connection, you're going to hear a lot of me talk, a lot of my talk about that. Mahalo, Pono, for those great words. And I'd like to close this question with Senator Wakai. Thank you, Toby. I, I totally agree with Pono that, I mean, that's, that's the backdrop in which we need to be guided for all of our decisions. I'm a person who kind of wants to take plan and take action. So Toby, I'm going to answer the question about, is there a project that we can talk about that shows optimism for the future of tourism? And I'm, I've been working with the Hawaii Executive Collaborative on, on remote working and how do we lure more remote workers to Hawaii with a mindset of how do we turn today's hotels into the workforce housing of, of the future? I mean, the fact that there's 10 of us or so on this, on this call uh, shows us the ease we all have in just using uh, broadband connectivity to talk in a panel discussion instead of all of us being at Scheidler School of Business today talking in front of the, the, the students at the Tim School. Here we are all working from Kauai, Kona, Oahu, all over the, the place. So the, the idea of uh, turning ourselves into a remote working hub has, has two benefits. Uh, we, we're going to take it on two approaches. One, the first set is to take the idea of Kama'aina kids come home. So, you know, we know a lot of our friends and, and children's friends who uh, are, are friends of children, uh, children, friends who have kids have gone to the mainland and are working on the mainland and have no opportunity to, to come home. But with remote working opportunities, they have every opportunity. So we're going to take a marketing opportunity to look at how do we bring those kids back home. And then we're going to put this prop plan on steroids and we're going to go after teams of technologists. So we're going to go and approach the Amazons, the workforce, uh, sales forces, the uh, Twitters and the Facebooks of the world to ask them, hey, you know, maybe you want to send a hundred of your team here. You can have five floors in a certain hotel, uh, utilize it for three months to, to, to six months and uh, turn these, you know, hotels that are needing capacity and put bodies in them. And essentially down the road, we're going to have the workforce that we need to reinvent and diversify our tourism industry with technology folks who may want to develop and, and spin off some type of company here locally. So that's something I think that is, is going to be fruitful and is innovative in the way we're going to, as Paul mentioned, kind of reinvent the way we do uh, tourism in the future. Senator. Uh, we're on to our second question, and Senator, you will actually be the first one answering this question as well. Is there an opportunity for small businesses to collaborate with the tourism sector in a program or event to promote and encourage buying local? 
Yes, let me answer that and actually elevate it to let's export uh, local. When you look at tourism, the way we measure tourism today is how many people came, how long did they stay, and how much money did they spend. But we forget that there is another part of that airplane that nobody is paying attention to, which is the belly of the plane, which provides cargo capacity. Um, and you'll be surprised. I was just doing some research. There are two airlines that are actually showing a profit in 2020. Korean Airlines and Asian Airlines. Why? Because they are filling their bellies with cargo. So if we take that mindset that let's not only focus on airplanes as bringing passengers here, but also taking our Hawaii-made products back to wherever they, they are going back to, uh, then we've solved another part and we've really collaborated and diversified our tourism base. So I'm working actually with the Chamber of Commerce uh, to create a program. We're going to start off with Hawaiian Airlines where, you know, instead of, uh, we're calling it for now, pineapples fly free. So instead of me having to pay 25 bucks for a baggage fee for my case of pineapples, that baby is going to go fly free because Hawaiian Airlines sees the value in promoting agricultural products and maybe papayas and you know bulky items after that. So we're going to try and do that first and then focus on the belly of the plane, trying to figure out how can we maybe reduce uh, the cargo cost for locally manufactured goods, maybe 20%. We're starting that conversation with Hawaiian Airlines to reduce the cost of cargo for export of locally made goods. So, uh, Sandy, sorry, I'm not asking your question as to how we're going to buy locally. I'm thinking ahead to how we're going to create demand for locally manufactured goods far beyond uh, Hawaii, but utilizing the airplanes to take it to its customers. That idea. Thank you so much. Uh, next is uh, Pono. So, building on what Senator Wakai just shared, um, He's spot on. There is only one way to transform the economics of any geographic region, and it's very simple. Regardless of what any economist says, there's only one way. And that's to reverse what we have become experts at. And what we are experts at is exporting money and importing expertise, period. We have exported so much money for knowledge to tell us how to do things. The first step is we have to recover what is our expertise and then export it. So to, to answer your question, Sandy, about five or six years ago, I was really thinking about this system that we purchased, we adopted, called Made In. So you have Made in Seattle, you have Made in San Fran, we have Made in New York, and, and somebody built a brand, Made In. And so Hawaii stepped right in, and now we had Made in Hawaii. And I just thought about that, that there's such a differential to me in Hawaii than that made in brand, that it's not about it being made in Hawaii, that there is a higher bar. When I walk into Namea, Hawaii, I smell, I feel, I smell, I hear, I taste Hawaii. That, that what Miley has done is raise the bar. And so I, I actually purchased a URL and I've held it for a special time when we would actually release Made With Mana that there's a higher quality that what does it mean to make something with mana? You know, Derek makes it with mana. John makes it with mana. What are we making that is such a higher bar that it's not just because it's from Hawaii or it's from Seattle or Washington. It's because we put so much into it that that's the value. So just, that's just a thought on, on that question and it's connection again. 
you, Pono. And speaking of connection, it, it's so interesting to see uh, your forward thinking, how to integrate our culture, and um, also having Sherry as our next um, speaker to bring together that connection with the business community. Yeah, you know, uh, for the past six years, we did this initiative called Hawaii on the Hill. So speaking about what Senator Wakai said, bringing it um, you know, beyond Hawaii. And it was an initiative essentially to showcase Hawaii and what we're all about, to provide them an experience and in bringing businesses in our community to Washington DC to showcase Hawaii uh, to our congressional delegation, uh, congressional leaders. In fact, Maricopa County has been a part of it for a number of years. And I will tell you, Kauai beats any other island in bringing up and showing up with their businesses. <laughs> and we had a delegation, the largest delegation in the most previous year of um, more than 150 businesses, excuse me, 80 businesses and almost 200 people flying up to DC to showcase Hawaii and more than 2,500 people attending this Taste of Hawaii on the Hill event. Uh, and it became the biggest event of the year and, on the Hill. And it goes to show how much Hawaii means to a lot of people. Uh, the buzz leads up to the event and the buzz leaves, continues after the event. And I tell you that because that's how special Hawaii is. And unfortunately, we couldn't do it this year because of the current situation uh, and just didn't make sense to do it virtual. But flying back home, you know, currently as it stands, it's going to take the other P, partnerships. And it's partnerships with the airlines, it's partnerships with the hotels, it's partnerships with other businesses to support our Hawaii business, especially the local and small ones that have been more impacted by COVID than other businesses. Uh, and that's not just businesses within Waikiki, but businesses outside of Waikiki, all the way to the other side of the island, across the state, to the different neighbor islands. Uh, so we all have to do a part in finding this partnerships in a collaborative way to support one another. Uh, this Friday, we have, again, it's virtual, but manufacturing Hawaii uh, tour which Senator Wakai is part of, but what can we do to uh, edu provide, educate, and bring and engage our visitors to learn more about our products and the history behind it? Let's take, for example, Hawaiian Chip Company. You know, he has a history behind that. Uh, Monica Taguchi from Highway Inn, there's a history behind that. And for them, not only to taste the product, but also to learn what led up to that product. So I think moving forward, there's definitely huge opportunities, but it will take that P, the partnerships, to ensure that we can continue to support our local businesses. Thank you for sharing those ways that we can really truly partner as a community community, and, and really an ohana. There, uh, Mayor Kawakami? You know, our, our family um, comes from the private sector, mom and pop world. You know, we, um, I come from the big safe family. And so, you know, especially now I understand how critical uh, having some staged um, restart of the visitor industry is. Uh, and it's because it comes down to customer count. Um, but, you know, we, we are trying to create resiliency within our business community as well. And so from the government standpoint, we understand that oftentimes the first tool to get cut from a business's budget is through marketing and advertising. And that is so critical 
to getting the message out. And so now more than ever, you know, through our Office of Economic Development and utilizing some CARES Act funds, we started our Kupa'a Koi program and Koi Forward, where it's basically a clearinghouse of connecting people to businesses, connecting even unemployed workers and providing assistance for employers to hire these people that are unemployed um, to get back on their feet. And we're really trying to get the message out that we, we got to support our local mom and pops, um, especially now. These are our neighbors. These are the folks that contribute back into our economy. When you talk about the multiplier effect of how much a dollar spent locally on Kauai will recirculate itself amongst the community and even into nonprofits versus, you know, getting, um, you, you know, exported out to, I mean, to bigger companies uh, off island. Um, we've been just trying to hammer down that we're all going to have to to lean on each other. And um, that was the initiative that we took, um, bringing the, the real world reality that, that, you know, during tough, disastrous times, um, our local mom and pops are usually the ones stepping up to provide. I mean, it's hard for me to ask our local businesses to help just because they've already given so much. Like right from the beginning, we had Kipu Ranch Adventures who was basically shut down, donating all of their handkerchiefs to make sure that everybody could have a mask. You know, everybody getting onto our bus that didn't have a mask had one. Um, we have businesses that have to transition um, from making rum and spirits to, to making hand sanitizer. And, you know, to this day, um, when you talk about um, everybody making sacrifices, there, there has been, to me, no bigger sacrifice made than those folks from the, the private sector. And so as much as I wish I had the resources to keep everybody at home, that's in a large part what has really stimulated our team on Kauai to go above and beyond as far as the planning process to come up with programs so that we can slowly restart the economy without having to retreat all the way back. And, and it's because we, we need to get that customer count in order for our businesses to be able to survive. And that's why from the beginning and up until now, we've given really people the tools to know how to coexist, how to mitigate risk in their own behavior. And there's still a lot of correction that needs to be done. I know we're talking about connection and not correction, but for some strange reason, people wear, will wear masks like all day long, but when they're visiting family, for some reason, they think maybe their family cannot get them sick, but you see them drop their guard. But those are the type of behaviors that really uh, concern us when our priority is to, hey, let's get back to a sense where, of where we can all make sure that our mom and pop survive and get all of our operations as far as what matters to society to be productive uh, back online, um, slowly but surely. Resilience of our community has just truly been inspiring. John? <clears throat> the, uh, a couple of examples have been cited. I thought uh, what Sherry spoke about, the manu her manufacturer's portal um, is one resource that I would encourage all of you to go visit. Uh, DBED, during this time, launched a Buy Hawaii, Give Aloha campaign to try and get small businesses uh, accelerated into e-commerce. And then this Thursday, there is the opening of the pop-up Makeke, which um, 
the Council for Native Hawaiian Advancement um, piloted back in April, I believe, and are now reopening on a much larger scale. I have not been to their new warehouse in Kapolei, but I'm told it kind of resembles an Amazon, Hawaii's version of Amazon out there with more than 400 um, manufacturers that have, have created uh, different products uh, to be sold online. And that is a collaboration with the sitting county of Honolulu, the county of Maui, Hawaii Community Foundation, and CNHA. Uh, at HTA, we will doing, do our very best to get that information out to our global marketing channels. And while many people will want to come to Hawaii, realistically, uh, for a myriad of reasons, they will not be able to make that trip in the near term, but it would help if our products, locally made products, products of quality, uh, are made available to them online, if for no other reason but to keep Hawaii top of the mind uh, worldwide and hopefully generate uh, revenue for uh, product manufacturers that come from rural areas as well as the urban core uh, throughout our state. Thank you. Uh, thank you, John, for that in-depth discussion on that topic. The next topic we're going to be discussing is something that I have a very big interest in is forecasting. And um, let's try to keep this to a minute and so we can move this quickly through. What are your projections for the number of arrivals on October 15? How about the rest of 2020? And do you see international travel coming back in 2020? If not, when? And if you can close, just give me one word that describes the travel industry in 2021. And if you can't answer the question, that's fine. But I want to see what the panel has to say about forecasting arrivals. John, you're first. You know, October 15, <laughs> October 15 feels like all these, like five fire stations are coming with all their trucks and all their fire hoses. And when we turn it on, there's going to be this trickle that is very difficult to quantify at this moment, right? But just to give you context, um, in 2019, in the first quarter, we had 100, over 150,000 visitor arrival bookings. This year, we had 673,000. And then we got to the second quarter when um, COVID hit. And we went from 2019 of 731, 731,000 to 19,000. In the following month, things just got increasingly more painful. And that pattern follows in all of the international markets as well. I just got off a call with um, Japan Airlines uh, within the last 24 hours and with Hawaii Tourism Japan. And, um, and th there are some logistical issues that have to be worked out in terms of getting the test. Uh, the tests have been authorized. Uh, so they're expecting a, um, an increase as we get closer to December and certainly in the first quarter. But I think at, at this stage, uh, the, the forecasts are rather, in my opinion, somewhat artificial uh, in terms of uh, what we can actually count on. We're going to learn a lot. Um, keep in mind, every decision that is made between now and an effective vaccine is going to be controversial. Right, because there are those who believe we're moving too fast. 
and we'll take a conservative approach, and there will be those who think we're moving too slow. And so until at such time we get there, there's going, there needs to be a debate, there needs to be dialogue, and at some point we need to come together in spite of our disagreements and pick our, in, in my case, I'm taking my marching orders from the board as well as from the governor's uh, command authority structure that he's put together. So thank you. Uh, hi, Mayor Kalkami, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, if you're going to give a politician a minute, you better have a timekeeper because our minute <laughs> is a lot different than most people's minute. Now, you know, it's hard to forecast, but I will tell you this, that we have prioritized health and safety. So we have proposed a rule um, that upon arrival, all arrivals, and this should address the inter-island travel as well, because right now, you know, inter-island travelers, your own local people are, are still under a 14-day mandatory quarantine. So we're trying to scramble uh, to get resources together to do uh, a test uh, upon arrival on Koi, all arrivals would quarantine, whether that's in a room or if there's a resort that has a resort bubble, they can enjoy the resort property. But 72 hours, they would take a rapid test, get a test result. If you're negative, hey, aloha, have a great time. Uh, of course, if you're positive, you would have to isolate on property and close contacts would be quarantined. And we're doing this because you know, we cannot compete against Maui, Big Island, and Oahu as far as just volume. So our target mar market right now, and all businesses have to have a target market, is for the visitor and traveler that wants to be healthy and safe, that wants to come to a place where they're going to feel healthy and safe. And we'll understand that these measures and these inconveniences are temporary, but it ensures that they'll have a healthy and safe trip. And that's just because in our eyes, those travelers that are willing to travel for health and safety and to enjoy the beauty of the island are typically going to be your visitor that are going to spend more money. You know, we don't want to go back and be sort of like the budget destination. We want to offer a premium product. And that's why moving forward, we're trying to look at ways that we can revamp and remarket Kauai towards a specific uh, target audience that we feel can coexist with our, um, with our way of life. Thank you, Mayor. That was a superb answer. Wonderful. Hi, Sherry. What is your, uh, do you have any forecast for us? <laughs> uh, forecast, I don't have exact numbers, but I don't think once October 50 comes around, we're going to see a surge of visitors coming to Hawaii. I think we're not there yet. Uh, and I think as we move forward from that date and having more visitors come, uh, it does take confidence in traveling. And so going back to personal responsibility, ensuring everyone does their part, including the visitor, uh, to protect and keep the cases down. Because if there's a surge, I'm sure that will prevent or change the minds of many visitors to come to Hawaii, obviously for the health and safety and wellness for them. So uh, it will take, you know, I think, ensuring that we continue to, or we come a safe state to uh, visit. As far as international travel, uh, that's a good question. I, I hope sooner than later, because <laughs> I'm sure, Toby, with your, your market is the Asian market, specifically Japan. So, and that has been our number one uh, market. And so the quicker that we can open up international travel, the better it is, obviously in a safe way, uh, that the better it is for many of our local businesses who are so directly linked 
and reliant on the Japanese visitors. If I could describe one word that describes 2021, I think that would be crossroads. I think it's a defining moment for Hawaii. Uh, we recognize that we relied on the visitor industry for many years, decades, uh, but it also highlights the need to start looking at other industries. And I know we've been talking about this for ages, right? Economic diversification. I think now more than ever, there will be a collaborative, more invested uh, conversations as well as investments in uh, in those other industries. And I'm sure Senator Wakai will bring that up and can elaborate more on, on that because he's been a champion of that and pushing that for years. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's a crossroads because we're gonna see more pivots to different industries at the same time recognizing this is our chance to do it right, to shape the tourism industry the way that is good for Hawaii. And I know under uh, John DeFree, the new CEO for HTA, we already see that in terms of his mindset, his values, and what he will bring to his leadership role in reshaping tourism in Hawaii. Thank you, Sherry. Excited for the future. Uh, Pono, interested to hear what you have to say. So um, it was about 2010, early 2010, when there, were, there was a um, Senate briefing um, with a few of the top economists in Hawaii and just where were we as far as tourism because we were looking at coming out of the Great Recession and two of the most preeminent economists in Hawaii said you know we're looking at maybe two to three years recovery time because of the Great Recession and then the tsunami hits and then they pushed it back to five to seven years. Um, so something very interesting happened though they were projecting numbers, but they didn't understand, I think, the power that we have as a community to connect. So it was when the tsunami hit that we saw many business organizations, financial institutions, insurance organizations, as well as Japan organizations. When the tsunami hit Japan, the next day there was this sprint that was going on and who was gonna lead the relief efforts. And it really was chaotic. Um, at the same time that morning, a group of uh, urban designers sent me a t-shirt because of something that I had talked with them about about two months ago, about these deeper understandings of aloha. And so they sent me a t-shirt and it was a white t-shirt with the word aloha in it with the O as a red sun. And they said, Pono, can we do this? And I said, yes. They said, can we put Antipilahi Paki's quote on the back? I said, yes. Can we put the Hawaiian flag and the American Red Cross logo on the back? And I said, no, no. There is only one message that we need to give to the people of Japan and that's we aloha you. We add any other message to that and it takes it away. And anybody in the world can deliver that same message. And so I said, go for it. That evening, we were delivering two shirts to Joe Moore. And the next day, people were calling for those t-shirts. Two days later, we were in a meeting with the administration. Can we adopt Aloha for Japan as the, as the official relief effort for Japan? 
And there's something about connecting with that deep level. That t-shirt sent over $10 million to Japan. But more importantly, within 18 months, we were breaking every record. So I don't know what the numbers are going to be. I, I'm like John, I expect a trickle on the 15th, except I did check the prices this morning and the flights are very expensive on the 15th, 16th, 17th. The, the prices of, um, of lift. So I don't know what the numbers are going to be, but I've seen it before, how when we are able to connect, people connect with us. And so what is my, what is my one word? Relational. <laughs> Thank you, Pono, for that. Relational is a great word. Um, I'd like to close this question uh, with Senator Wakai. Thank you, Toby. Um, as Tim students know, October to December is a slow shoulder season for Hawaii. So to me, that's almost a blessing as we kind of embark on this new opportunity on October 15th. You look at the numbers yesterday, yesterday Hawaii welcomed 1,800 visitors. So if you were to ask me, I think by the start of November, we'll have about 5,000 visitors. Um, and it will slowly get bigger and bigger in the future. I mean, it's going to be a long time before people overcome their fear of travel. And the fact that, it's, that there's a lot of people, not just here, but all over the U U.S. that have less money. So I don't think we should kind of uh, have this false belief that somehow it's going to go back to normal. People's lives are not normal. It's going to take them years to uh, figure out how they're going to pay their mortgage and send their kids to college, much less take a trip to Hawaii. So if you ask me what's that one word for 2021, I think it's going to be agonizing. I think there's going to be a very long runway to the point where uh, we can have that discussion again of over tourism. Like, wow, that was such a novel idea back in January. Here we are, like, oh, we desperately wanting any tourism. So it's going to be a long time coming. But uh, Toby, I know you're really big into the international traveler, but if I were to be kind of pacing ourselves, I try to figure out like how we get the mainland travel Trans-Pacific from the mainland right before we even start talking about bubbles with Korea, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, elsewhere. I mean, we, we're taking on too, too much. Let's be smart about it. Let's figure out how we get the mainland Trans-Pacific right. And then maybe December, hey, everybody's doing good. Everybody's malamaying, everybody's wearing their mask. And then, okay, now we can go embrace idea of Japan because we do all of that all at one time and it just blows up in our face. It's going to be a total catastrophe and agonizing is going to turn into a Holocaust for our economy if we don't get it right. Thank you, Senator. That's great advice. And you're correct about that. We have to carefully approach this reopening. So that'll finish our panel discussion. Um, I know that uh, Mayor Kawakami, uh, are you still okay or you have to head out? No, we're all good. We all right. <laughs> the calendar because my team knew I was going to take two minutes for a one minute question. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, 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 perfect. Well, thank you. So we're going to move on to our next presenter. Um, our next featured speaker is Sherry Menor McNara. I was able to really see how passionate she is being the voice of business during the few years I was on the Chamber of Commerce Hawaii Board. Sherry Menor McNara was appointed president CEO of the Chamber on September 1, 2013, becoming the youngest and first female president CEO of the Chamber's organization's 170-year history. She's also the first Asian to serve as CEO of the State Chamber. She, she received her Juris Doctorate degree from the William S. Richardson School of Law 
and her MBA from the Shiloh College of Business. Yeah. Thank you, Sherry, for joining us. Thanks for having me here again. I'm really enjoying the panel here. And Derek, two minutes. Yeah, that's Kauai. That's why, right? That's what they say. In Hilo, we don't do that, you know, because I'm from Hilo, so <laughs> respect the time. Anyhow, just joking. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, it's the voice of business, as you mentioned, Toby. It's been very challenging. Um, I, you know, I don't know if you've seen a video that's gone viral. Um, that was made by one of our most well-recognized local restaurants. Um, I still get emotional talking about it. Uh, I'm sure many of you have seen it. And that's Mo, uh, Monica Taguchi, Highway Inn. Uh, it's a restaurant. It's an institution. It's family-owned. It's been around for decades. Um, her great her grandfather built it, and now she has c continues to build it. Um, but that video just showed the rawness and the the the, um, the I guess the vulnerability of not knowing what to do. I mean, this you're talking about an astute businesswoman who has invested so much into it, and now stating in this video, I don't know what else to do. Um, so it's, and she's not the only one. That's only one story of many, of many that we've been hearing more and more as the clock goes on and, and time is running out. Um, so for the chamber, that inspires us and that motivates us to even work harder. Um, for those sports fans out there, Doc Rivers, one of his lessons in his playbook is pressure is a privilege. And I tell you what, this pressure has been a privilege because we have been working pretty much day out, day night, um, day, day, oh my goodness, I can't even say it, but been pretty much working day in, day out to ensure that our businesses need what they need. If we wind back to March, you know, no one had a playbook for this, right? I mean, all businesses, large, small, tourism business or not, no one had a playbook. Uh, we just didn't know what to do. Uh, so, you know, we knew as a chamber, we had to pivot quickly. Uh, we didn't even, for a membership, for an organization that relies on membership and events as their main revenue streams, uh, we didn't even think, okay, what are we, how much money are we losing? What do we do now? We pivoted right away to ensure we could provide the support for small businesses. So we did everything from panels, webinars, including Senator Wakai participated in some of them, uh, standing up a COVID website, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and we did surveys. And the surveys have been very compelling, a couple of them which we partnered with Uhiro. Um, and as it relates to tourism, about 40% of businesses, they cannot reopen until tourism reopens. And that was on October 1st. So you can imagine how many businesses are being affected by the industry, whether directly or indirectly. I'm sure many of us have heard about how far the tourism dollar goes. Uh, and that's so true, that rings true. And so if we don't fully reopen tourism, if we don't do it the right way, we will continue to see the wave of closures of businesses and that we cannot afford to happen. Um, so we need to do everything we can, all of us, as John said, Malama, right? And we have one chance to do it right. Um, 
and we're excited. I mean, we, we're excited. I think many businesses are anxious uh, to, to welcome visitors uh, and to get the economy going again. Um, so, you know, again, we will, as a chamber, we will continue to advocate. And I think we're at the stage now that partnerships and collaborations will be important. And we're very grateful that um, the governor's office, as well as mayor's office, uh, have reached out and we continue to engage, we continue to participate uh, in discussions to find solutions, to find resources, and to find help uh, that the small businesses currently need. So, you know, that's the current picture, but, you know, we need to get back on track and rebuild our um, tourism industry as well as under other industries. And we had the opportunities are out there and it will take all of us to do this together. Thank you, Sherry. I'm personally grateful for all that you've done to be the voice of our business community and your passion shines through in all that you do. Our final panelist is Pono Shim. You know, as we discussed the intent behind this webinar series, we knew we needed a common vision that we could all look toward, one with a positive intent and that considered this deep culture we value. We know that Pono Shim embodies just that. His ability to identify the origin of issues we're facing in our communities, inspire forward-thinking ideas that consider both economic and cultural values, and build a common vision to move toward a better future is sure to spark discussion to positively affect both our business and family communities. Thank you for joining us, Pono. Thanks so much, Sandy, for that introduction. Um, wow. Um, I don't want to talk about what we need to do. I'm going to talk about what I've been doing um, because this isn't theory. This is life. And um, five years ago, I was given a, a gift and the gift was a question. And the question was, can you go to Japan and share aloha with the people of Japan and then go to China and, and Korea and Asia? Um, and it was with someone um, with Hawaii Tourism Authority, a friend, and he said, well, you need to go. And I said, why? I know you guys are marketing Aloha. And he had just gone there and his experiences that he brought to me was not about finances. It was about the impact that we could contribute to those countries because of social concerns. The way that the children in Korea work so arduously hard. Um, the back stepping of population in Japan, which is expected to decline from 125 million in 50 years to 85 million. That's total decimation of a population economically. Um, children stepping in front of trains on the first day of school in Japan. And I, I really, he started bringing these things to me. And I, so I started to study you know, why? And why do so many people come to Hawaii from Japan, for example? 1.5 million visitors before pre-COVID. I started to really investigate, what is it? You know, there's 2.7 million hula dancers in Japan. We got 25,000 in Hawaii. That's not a fad. Something is happening. And the common comments that I get are, they love our culture. They love our environment. They can time out. I said, there's something else going on. And so I really dug in deep to deconstruct. How did they get there to where they were that someone would ask me that question? But then how do we connect? 
And it was after about six months of study that I went to Japan and I ended up meeting with these 27 media writers and had a presentation on Aloha. And during my presentation, which was an hour and a half long, I talked about, you know, our values are same. And there's something about opening up to me with a community or a country or a people whose values are same. Because then what we can do is we can get to that level that the mayor has talked about, about beginning at the values level. So um, I went and I said, you know, our values, same, same, Japan, same, same. And they thought I was being gratuitous as I shared who we were and how I saw the connection to who they were. And then at one point, I showed them an illustration of the Ahupua'a. So I put up on my slide and the Ahupua'a. And you know what? These people, all 27 of them, they love our Ahupua'a. They know our Ahupua'a as good as us. They talk about it. They were so excited to talk about the Ahupua'a. And then when I was done, I said, so what did you have? And they said, we didn't have. And I said, oh, yeah. So I showed them another picture, and it's called the Satoyama. Sato is the plains, Yama is the mountains, from the mountains to the plains. And these people were stunned. The only difference between the Hawaiian Ahupua'a and the Japanese Satoyama was one was rice paddies and the other is taro patches. And they were stunned. I said, same, same. The same Values that built the Ahupua'a are the same values that built the Satoyama. Same, same. The reason why I think the people of Japan love us so much, because we don't send 1.5 million people from Hawaii to Japan. We send more people to Vegas. But you still come. And I said, the reason why I think you, you love Hawaii so much and you come is because you think who we are and how we live is the most beautiful thing in the world. And it's because we remind you of you. When America blew you up, we blew you up. And you forgot how beautiful you are. Same, same. We remind you of you. And I told them, you know, I have a dream that someday we can have a tour that takes you to our plantations and gives you the experience of what the people went through. And then after that, you go to a taro patch and you go and work in the lo'i and you pound poi. And oh yeah, we want to pound poi. And then what we do is we take you one more place and we'll take you to a Buddhist temple. And now you're going to go pound mochi. And these people were just stunned. I said, yeah, you think it's beautiful we pound poi, but you're not pounding mochi anymore. Maybe you need to go home and pound mochi. Maybe if you pound mochi, maybe your people will have babies again. Maybe if you pound mochi, your children won't step in front of trains anymore. See, I know you guys make the perfect mochi with a machine. But there might be something about people getting together to pound mochi so that children are not bullied anymore. Um, these people, when I were done, were in tears. Every single one of them, except for one, were crying and wanted to come up and hug me and talk about this spiritual connection they feel to Hawaii. They now understood it. 
And it was um, a lady who left, rushed out. She was the only one not moved emotionally, I thought. And the next day when we were traveling to Osaka, Eric Takahara, the president of Hori Tourism Japan, said, brother, this morning you're in Yahoo News. I said, what's Yahoo News? He says, that's Japan CNN. That lady who left, she wrote a four page and a half article, and you are all over Japan this morning. That was not purchased by advertising. That was not an investment of $40. That was a movement by somebody. So what I've been talking about is really shifting to relational tourism versus destination tourism. But they come because of relationship. When, when I was asked to share aloha, that wasn't to put our culture on them. Aloha is meant to take people home to theirs. Not to colonize them, but to take them home to theirs. And if Hawaii can have that very, very special place that allows us to do that kind of work, maybe then will we be Mecca to the Muslims. Maybe if you're human, you need to come to Hawaii. Yeah, so thank you for allowing me to share that, Sandy. Thank you, Pono Shandal was incredibly inspirational. Thank you for sharing again. Next up is our Q&A portion of the webinar. I see we have tons of questions in here. So I'd like to bring up our special co-hosts of the Q&A, uh, Leanne Choi of Pacific Rim Concepts and Trevor Newman of the Hawaii Convention Center. Panelists, please turn on your cameras. And Leanne and Trevor, the floor is yours. Thank you. Great, thank you everyone for your presentation. Um, the top rated question is uh, this one here. And it was pretty lengthy, but um, I'd rather just read it as it is. So many see the economic benefit of restarting tourism, but also worry about the social health impact of more visitors. There is also a fear that locals will be hostile or unwelcoming to visitors when more start to return. So what can we or should we do in terms of messaging to residents so that they will be welcoming to the visitors. And shall we start with, uh, how about Mary Kawakami? We'll start with you. Yeah, you know, that's sort of the reason why we're taking extra precautions. And, you know, from the, from the, the, the get-go of this whole pandemic, you know, we were kind of seen as sort of the rogue island that just kind of went off and did our own thing, but cannot help, right? Like, I think anybody sitting in my seat would do the same thing. You know, our, our family um, had grocery stores in every single neighborhood. There's so many people in our kupuna uh, classification that helped get me to where I am today. I think everybody would be doing the same thing as far as taking extra precautions uh, and understanding sort of the, the fear of visitors coming back. Now, as far as the public sentiment towards the visitors themselves, we got a glimpse of that when we had the rain and flooding event of 2018 and North Kauai was sort of isolated and they got to see what Hyena and Wainiha look like without visitors. And, you know, when the road reopened, there was, you know, there was, uh, a resistance to change. I think what needs to happen is for people to show 
and change the face of what the visitor industry is. And, uh, you know, there's a reason why people spend money on advertising and marketing because it gets a message out. And somehow, I think collectively between government and the industry, we really have to start displaying the faces that need to get back to work. And I think once we start seeing familiar faces as the visitor industry, um, we'll start to understand that we as a society are all in this together. And you cannot have one without the other, but we have to do it in a way that's safe. Mm -hmm. uh, Senator Wakai, you want to comment on that? Uh, I take a more simplistic view. I mean, the, the, the important thing to remember is just to make sure that the tourists don't infect the locals. If you get that straight, all the messaging will ride into the, in the right direction. Because I think you know, seven months into this misery, we as a community see the value of tourists the value that they provide to us in providing us jobs. So it's pretty simple. Just make sure that we have protocols where the tourists don't infect us and the messaging will be there for the people, local people to say, oh, como mai, I welcome you back with open arms. Sherry, do you have a comment? Sure. Um, so I'm going to highlight another P. <laughs> I'm on the <laughs> trend of P's. Um, plans, <laughs> making sure that there is an effective communication plan from before the visitor comes to Hawaii. And I know um, HTA and their marketing partners have been working hard in ensuring that the visitors know what the guidelines are in Hawaii on the different islands, what they need to do, um, be respectful of our islands, uh, you know, practice all the different uh, protocols. Uh, so again, making sure there's an effective communication plan for our visitors, as well as for here, our, our local communities to ensure they understand what that uh, reopening of tourism looks like and what is being done. Uh, and then the other is just, again, the plan to ensure that everyone understands what all the different policies are um, so that we can continue to keep Hawaii safe, um, but also provide them with a positive experience so that they would want to come back and that they respect Hawaii and that, that they respect people and they follow the values and that they want to learn about the history and the culture of Hawaii in a very genuine way. Ono? Um, in 2018, I gave a talk. Um, as a closing speaker for the Earth Day Summit, it was called Eikohanaho. And um, I do recommend if anybody wants to understand this, this forma that I'll call it, um, go to our website and then video is on it. Um, might be helpful. Because this isn't something that is new. Yeah, we have a pandemic. But the crisis that we've been dealing with, whether it's educational or economics, environmental, has been going on for a long time. What COVID-19 has done is it's lifted and really put in how vulnerable we've been. Um, and so the reset are the kinds of things that John is talking about. When we're able to reset that way, then we're able to connect in a way that we previously did not reach, moves from transactional to additional. So I just want to share that um, when I gave that talk, it was something that just kind of vomited out of me that I had never shared before. What is Hana? What is Ohana? Which is, it's not just family, it's so much more. 
And Te Ohana Ho is about, it's time to recover what it means to be Ohana again, that foundation. From that, I asked Moon Kaukahi to write a song. Because I said, I hear a song. And two years ago, he wrote that song. An hour and a half after I had shared with him the information, he said, I don't know what you did, brother, but the song's written. And it was at the beginning of the pandemic when I was just feeling really overwhelmed by how much pain our community was feeling that I said, Moon, we need the song now. So he put the music to the song. Knowing that the 2.7 million hula dancers and the halal that I'm associated with is tied with so many of the halal in Japan. Months ago, we gave them the song and we said, choreograph it. Teach the ladies. So they've been teaching the ladies. Last week I got an update. I said, oh, we're going to share with you. It is so beautiful. And then the next step is after we teach all the halal in Hawaii, then we're going to reach out to all the halal in Japan and teach them Eokana Ho. And it's through this relationship that we can start to now work on how we're going to come together again. Not because we have laws or rules, but because we have a different connection that will touch them and hopefully inspire what we're all talking about, about our own behaviors and how we come together. So that's how I answer it. Nice. And we end with you, John. You know, when I um, applied for the position at HTA uh, in early July, Hawaii was among the leaders in COVID statistics in America. By the time I got to my final interview in late August, we had descended to among the worst COVID statistics, and uh, the Trans-Pacific Traveler, the tourist, had zero or little to do with that. And I want to point us back to uh, this issue of self-responsibility. What we have in common, all of the panelists here, what we have in common with Governor Ige and his leadership team and the counties and each mayor is that we are all Kamaino. And we are all Kama'aina leaders. And we take our leadership position seriously, A, to protect and enhance the quality of well-being in our community. Not because of tourism, right? Tourism happens to be an expertise. Um, But I will say this, that the sheer weight of an economic collapse, Sherry will tell you, is killing off businesses as we speak. And we cannot sit in status quo and, and overanalyze the situation. We are going to have to take uh, some calculated risks. Increased human interaction is going to lead to increased human COVID counts. We're going to have to be able to identify it, contain it, and deal with it. But sitting here until we come up with a vaccine is also not an option. It reminds me of a friend who, who's a deep sea diver. At one point when you're hundreds of feet below the surface and you realize you have no oxygen in your tank, you can sit there and pass out and drown or you can make it to the surface and run the risk of developing the bends. Neither of them is a great option, okay? And in some ways, we are, we, the longer we go in this pattern, the fewer options we have. And a decision has been made to begin the reopening on October 15th. And those of us who make up the Kamaina leadership are going to have to get around this together across all sectors and make this happen in a way that protects our community, 
protects our visitor, and most of all, helps to perpetuate a vibrant future for Hawaii. So thank you, Leanne. I think one of the questions that uh, we have on the table is about inter-island travel. Um, do you think we'll be able to start traveling again without this quarantine? Because I think that that was kind of gave our islands a boost that short time that we were open. Um, do you think that will be happening soon, Mayor Kawakami? Uh, no, we're, well, for Kauai, we're, we're not ready just to drop the 14 day inter-island quarantine, but you know, and that's why one of the issues we had with the reopening is that we're uh, allowing a, a pre-test program for mainland travelers, but we didn't have anything in place for inter-island. And in a sense, that's why we're scrambling to do a 72 hour post-arrival uh, rapid test program. It's because, um, you know, it's a lot better than quarantining for 14 days, but it's relatively safe. So, you know, we, we have to, manage both uh, the virus, the economy, and also I want to go back to the, to the personal behavior because I think what John said hits the nail on the head. I think we blame too much on visitors, um, you know, creating this problem. You know, initially this virus did come from outside of Hawaii. Yes, that is true. And in a sense, when we're trying to manage the virus, the least amount of people that we had to manage and interact uh, makes it a more manageable situation. But um, the common denominators for these cases are from uh, people not wearing masks, still having large gatherings, um, not complying. And so, you know, in a sense, that's why from the beginning, our Kauai Police Department played a critical role by really enforcing. That was the key. If you create all the rules in the world, and you have a large gathering and a bunch of cops drive by and they don't do anything, people are going to say, hey, this is just all lip service and not take it seriously. So I think that's why Koi has been relatively successful. But we, at this time, uh, have taken the position, at least for us, that, you know, we're, we're not ready to just have that 14-day quarantine evaporate, but we're looking for something a lot more uh, uh, pleasant and still can manage the health and safety of our island. And I'm sorry, I got to bounce. Yeah, and Pono has to leave too. So we'll thank you for our panelists who uh, have joined us and will be running away. Um, maybe we can just get one more comment from uh, John on that last question and then uh, we'll close um. up. Leanne, can you repeat the question one more time? Uh, inter -island? Uh, it was about uh, inter-island travel, about when do you foresee us opening you know, that up? Um, at, for, at least for the locals, you know? Yeah, you know, um, I, I, earlier I talked about kind of a central command structure out of the governor's office and in Honolulu and then decentralizing it. And as much as I'd like to see it open, um, I've got to defer to the CEOs of each island, the mayors. They know their communities. They're getting a lot of pressure from, um, you know, pro-business, and, and they're getting a lot of pressure from community organizations. So I defer to them. I, I know, um, you know, I haven't met Mayor Kawakami yet. Look forward to that. But, you know, my trust is in uh, them as chief executives of each island. Make the call for your island. HDA will adjust. Great. Uh, Sherry, Glenn, do you want to comment on that one or shall we call it a wrap? Okay.
um, Toby and um, Sandy, you want to come back? <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Lynn. Uh, oh, eat my oh. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what flavor do you have, Toby? Uh, strawberry cheesecake. Oh, oh my gosh. How about you, Sandy? Again? Latour, Latour. Latour. Okay, so I think it's time we put these aside and welcome everyone back. Thank you for your questions. They were on point and exactly what we all needed to hear. Uh, yes, they were. And as we mentioned earlier, these free webinars are brought to you by the University of Hawaii Shiloh College of Business and Travel Industry Management Alumni Associations. In our subsequent webinars, we'll be announcing a new fundraising campaign called Shiloh Strong coming next month. Now, if you would like to rewatch re any part of this webinar, a recording will be posted at braingainhawaii.com, and that's braingainhi.com, which will also include shareable links to our YouTube and podcast. Registration for our next webinar, Reopening Focus Health, Safety, Technology, and Policy Innovation, will begin this afternoon. It will be next week, Tuesday at 1130. The lineup includes Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, Patrick Sullivan of Oceanet, who some of you may have heard about his Assure 19 COVID test. The webinar also includes topics on contact tracing, hard and soft skin wearables, and current testing technologies. By being in the seminar, you'll receive an email with registration, or you can look in the Q&A right now, and I'll put the link. Thank you to our panelists for sharing your guidance and providing us with hope as we move forward through this time together. And thank you to all those in attendance. We appreciate your questions and all that you are doing to open our economy safely. See you next week.